Delighted to have been joined uh, once again in the uh, uh, Big Kickoff Rugby podcast by three uh, rugby people. We've got John Kingston, once again, formerly of Harlequin's, of course. Uh, hi, John. Evening. Uh, continuing the ex-Harlequin uh, mode, it's uh, Tony Diprose. Hi, Tony. Evening. And we've also, I'm delighted to say, got a uh, referee, international referee, no less, uh, JP Doyle. Good evening, JP. Evening, Peter. How are you? Hi, I'm JK. Very, I'm very well, thank you. Not ex Harlequins. <laughs> <laughs> We've got quite a bit Sorry, to get through in a short space of time, so we're, we're rattle on. Um, final weekend of the Gallagher Premiership. Um, obviously, there's still a couple of. Uh, uh, sorry, one match, should I say, still to be uh, decided. We'll come on to the South Sharks talking point uh, briefly at some point, of course. But, uh, John, what's your thoughts uh, on the final weekend of the uh, Premiership season that we've just had this past weekend? Should have been the most amazing finish to what's been, let's face it, a really difficult season. You know, spoilt by automatic, you know, the relegation situation, um, ending that situation. And obviously the delay making it really hard. And then sadly, we didn't get quite the drama. It would have been nice to see. But on the day, Bristol, I thought, coped admirably in wet conditions. Um, I saw there was a bit of fuss about the side extra pick. But to me, they earned the right to do what they wanted to do with it. Nobody could actually pick that up because, you know, let's be honest, there's been a lot of under-powered under, um, sides anyway going on with the way that the number of games to go. Um, Wasps have been magnificent in the way they've come on the blind side and looked good again, didn't they? Great to see Chris get a win. Uh, and then Saracens, of course, you could have sort of put your money on them spoiling the party there for Bath because they were always going to give it everything they had because it was emotionally going to be last chance to try and go out with a bang. So, look, it was exciting to a degree, but it was ruined, you know, as well, sadly, by the fact that we couldn't get a finite end to a, what's been a really good last month of the season with, you know, four teams looking for three places. Mm. Tony, um, John mentioned about Bath there. Uh, I think they must be kicking themselves, mustn't they? Because they were in such a strong position. And really, they were, was it 14 points up at one stage? And then in the end, of course, uh, had to settle for a draw. And that might cost them a place, mightn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was that was the game I probably saw the most of over the weekend. And, you know, I sat there watching the second half. And I've been, been in that position before when watching, you know, teams play. And they just shut up shop and they shut up shop too early. And Saracens in the first half didn't look particularly interested. The Vunapolas, the Atojis were a little bit going through the motions. But they got a sniff and they gave them a sniff. And they're too good, some of those players. Um, and, and, and they just fought their way back into it. And unfortunately for Bath, you know, they, it looks as though, depending on what happens with Sale tomorrow night, they might fall on the on, on the wrong end. And, you know, they've had a very good block after after the sort of COVID break and they've done very well. But I don't think fifth's going to please Bruce Craig at the end of the at the end of the day. You know, we know what he wants. He wants to win things. And and that's going to be a that's going to be a challenge for, for Stuart Hooper and the and the team to drag themselves up. They may still get another chance. I mean, Sale's team is, you know, a little bit light on the bench. It would be fair to say. Um, and 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 will the game go ahead? Who knows? Yeah, we'll come on to that in, in just a minute. Um, JP, uh, I think it's a wonderful achievement for Bristol to actually secure a playoff spot, isn't it? I mean, you know, we were on the last rugby podcast here on the Big Kickoff. We were talking about the rise of Bristol, but you know, could anybody have predicted that before the start of this season? 
for Bears to actually secure a top four place? I think if you look at Pat Lamb's history with Connacht, I think what he built there over time, he sort of seems to have done the same model there. Mm. Again, I'm not on the absolute detail the way uh, John and, and Tony will be, but you, what, what's impressed me lately at Bristol the last year or two, the first they came up, they, they played that Connacht run at all cost way. And you look at what they're doing now, how they've evolved their game. They're definitely kicking more, pushing corners more. That, they had three catch mall drives, I think, which is a, a really tricky skill, especially now with the way it's refereed and people being able to get round and hold their binds and get on the ball. So the fact that they have more strings to their bow, those strings are definitely helped by the fact that every single player is worried about Randrandra. And they're all, everyone's, you've got three or four guys holding space probably because of him and a Piatau plays. And the wingers, that guy Morahan is probably one of the, <clears throat> the most underrated wingers around, I think. He's just, every time he gets the ball, he seems to cause problems for opposition. Um, so Bristol, yeah, I, you, you can see where they're going because I, I've seen their, 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 their gameplay evolve. I don't know their total ins and outs, but they seem to have more strings against the Wasps, who seem to be a counterpunch team. And issue with a counterpunch team, if it doesn't go well for them on the day, if they don't get the bounce of the ball that Robson can skirt 60 metres, it can be a, a trickier day. I think Bristol have more strings, but that's just from an amateur seat. Tony, it's been a remarkable turnaround for Wasp, hasn't it, since, since the uh, restart more than anything. I mean, uh, I'll tell you what, in the playoffs, you wouldn't fancy playing Wasp now, would you? No, I, I think they just look as though they've gone out with a freedom to play plus got some players back from injury. I, I think it's hard to understate how important Jimmy Gopoff is to that team and the way they play when he's fit. And I don't think when he first came back, he was fully fit. Uh, he makes a big difference. He takes a lot of pressure on Fumaga. Um, you know, Fekatoa looks as though he's causing a few issues now. You know, he's taken a little while to settle. Um, you know, they're playing a lot of good rugby. And, you know, they, they have almost been given an ability to go out and play the way they want to play. And I think, you know, when you get on with some of those losing streaks and they had one, their confidence was low. They went into themselves. They didn't play in the same way. Their defence is still a little bit shaky, it'd be fair to say. They probably can see too many points. But... You know, what they've done is, you know, if they're going to score 40 at the other end, you're going to have to be pretty good yourself in terms of in terms of what you do. And uh, it's been impressive. Uh, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff, you know, after Dyer left and Lee Blackett coming in. And I think people probably looked at that and thought, oh, OK, well, what's Lee done? And has he deserved that chance? And he's done a magnificent job. And I know there's other guys there in the background, Costello and some of the other guys but you know you've got to give them credit because you know sitting in 10th when this restarted and now sitting in second yeah they'll fancy their chances John um let's come on to the South Sharks saga shall we uh, in particular um you know it, it's unfortunate it's actually ended up like this as you quite rightly say because really everything should have been done and dusted over the weekend and we'd be looking forward to uh this weekend's coming playoff, but of course at the moment it's going to be undecided as, as regards to the South Sharks situation. I think the latest is apparently that Worcester, a warning of legal action as well in particular, I mean, they apparently they're threatening not to send a side down either as well. It could get rather messy, couldn't it? Yeah, look, there's a lot of noise going on with it, but let's, let's, let's look at the facts. The, the, the bottom line is that Sale said that they were ready to play on Sunday. So, 
as far as I understand it, them saying they were ready to play meant that they could go ahead, but Public Health England decided that wasn't appropriate. And I'm sure rightly, out of my remit to mention those things or not. So if that's the case, uh, you know, it's, it's different, but it's the same. Look at that New Zealand-Italy game in the World Cup when um, it wasn't played. It never got played. To my mind, if a team aren't at fault, and that's a big if, aren't at fault to the situation of it not taking place, they have the right for the game to take place. And I know it was problematic in the World Cup, but it didn't sit well with me that New Zealand didn't play Italy. I thought it was wrong and I thought it should have happened. I couldn't see how a side could be knocked out for that reason. And similarly for sale. But what is really important is in the now is making sure that there is no fault line there uh, to sale and also making sure what the lessons are because we're starting again in six weeks' time. Now, you know, I've, I've read, as everybody else no doubt has, about the fact that it's a false negative could be the reason. I'm not going to comment whether I think it's, a, it's odd that's 18, 19, however many it was at one point. But what I would say is, it, it, is there a fault with the, with the actual testing equipment? Was there a fault with the track and trace for that number of situations to be hopefully wrong? Or was there a social misdemeanor? That is being looked at by um, the RFU. It's being looked at by Premier Rugby. And they will decide, no doubt, as to what the real reason is for it. And I think it's really important that rugby knows this. It could be that the, the answer is, well, it was a false negative, And then everybody trained around each other. And in the way they do, um, they're going to pass it on like wildfire to each other. So we've got to be incredibly careful about, you know, how the sophistication of the testing system. That could be the learn on. But I don't know, and respectfully, none of us here know what's really caused that situation. In my opinion, as much as there is massive integrity and it makes it easier for sale, knowing four points, not five, to, 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 to qualify, which is probably where their mindset would have had to have been before it started. If they've done nothing wrong and they were available to, to play on Sunday, to me, they have the right then for the game to take place if it was taken away from them by a, a, a third party. But there has to be a thorough and full investigation with all of the stuff that we all know is absolutely right in terms of health and safety, etc., etc. And if the game's not right, unfortunately, it's going to end really sour where a side loses the right to play in the last four um, by that. But if they're being silly themselves, then they've only got themselves to blame. But we don't know. We don't know. Tony, what's your take on it? Yeah, very similar. I mean, I think the first thoughts are to the, the guys who were affected, you know, both at Sale and then at Northampton. You know, there's a group of players at Northampton who are now self-isolating um, through no fault of their own. And, and, and presumably there are 16 to 19. I don't think I know the exact number, but there's a group of people there who have been given a, a positive test. And I think, you know, I think about them and their families and the effect it has on them. That would be my first thought process. But yeah, it's unsatisfactory. It doesn't feel great you know everyone goes to a lot of trouble in making sure the last fixtures finish at the same time kick off at the same time because of the integrity of the league i know it's something that goes on across a number of sports and it's it's always a concern in those tournaments where suddenly someone seems to have an advantage you know world cup football you know go back to uh, uh, germany and uh, making knocking out algeria what was that 78 world cup john yeah. you tell me that i think <laughs> uh, and playing out a nice nil nil draw because that happened and 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 that, that worries you a bit. But as John has said, you know, at this stage, like, how can we decide what, where the fault lines are? We don't know the facts. 
you have to presume that the facts will come out with Premier Rugby and an RFU investigation on that. And you hope that it comes out in the right way. And, and as John said, you, you learn some lessons because it, it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. You know, it, it's bad press again for Premier Rugby, which is, which is never a good thing because you know, we're all rugby fans and rugby supporters. And at the moment, we want a, a vibrant competition. And there has been some really good stuff over the last couple of months to get a product on the field. It's just a shame that, you know, it's sort of overshadowed at the very end by COVID once again. JP, what's your take on it? To be honest, I'm kind of in the cheap seats on this. I just don't know enough. And there's so much press about so many different things that my head just ends spinning. It's a mix of what, what Dipper says and what JK says. You feel for the families. You don't know whether it's a, a systematic error or a behavioral error. So I kind of have no opinion on it because... A, it doesn't directly affect me or my team, so I can be non-opinionated about it. But B, there's probably so much going on behind walls. I know how hard PRL have worked. I know how hard the RFU have worked. I know how stringent the testing is with teams. I know how often it is to have that thing shoved up my nose or down my throat. It's, it's not a very pleasant thing. It's done very often. You know, I, I really just, just, let's get past it. It's kind of my, my feeling at this stage. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope, guys, eventually something does come through and, you know, we can get everything settled. Uh, I suppose either way, one team are going to be happy, aren't they? And another team aren't going to be happy. It's, I mean, that's, you know, that's sod's law sort of thing, isn't it, really? It's just one of those unfortunate things, actually. Um, just quickly go back to the weekend now. Um, there was a few people that retired from the game, but probably the, the leading figure of those has to be Chris Robshaw. Um, Tony, obviously you, you know, you were at Quinn's, you worked with um, Chris. Um, what's your thoughts on Chris Robshaw's retirement? Uh, I dropped him a message. I mean, just, you know, for me, just a wonderful person and, and a wonderful player. I, you know, I, I was there at the end of my career when Chris was just starting his. I remember him nearly lapping me on 800 metre runs around Roehampton and it's only two laps. So you can guess how <laughs> my fitness was at that stage of my career, as John would probably testify. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it, I, and it was just seeing him. I mean, like, he's been through a ton of setbacks. The resilience he's shown over a number of issues, you know, you go to the World Cup bit against Wales. But, but for himself personally, you know, he had a lot of injuries when he was younger, could have easily just fallen away from the game. You know, that was his first introduction to Harlequins Academy. He was injured the whole time and you never saw him as a player. And everyone said, oh, this Robshaw was really good. But oh, I've never seen him. Um, and, and the way he's worked, the way he's carried himself, the way he speaks... But, and, the, and, and, and people listen, you know, you know, probably the highlight from my coaching career would be the day where he lifted the Premiership title. I, I think John would probably say the same. It was an amazing day um, and he deserved that honour as well as all the other honours he, he got. Uh, you know, there are many people in the game who you'd struggle to find someone to have a bad word about. I'm sure there's a few people who would say a few bad words about the three of us who are sitting here in various <laughs> But there are there are many and Chris fits that category um absolutely to a T and uh, and, and I'm jealous he's going to San Diego to be honest. <laughs> well it's certainly been warmer there, definitely. How about you, John? Obviously, you know, you, you spent a huge amount of time, didn't you, with Chris? Yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously said a lot about it in the last few weeks, but he's incredibly selfless, dips it the nail on the head with him, really. Thinks about other people before himself. Um, probably a couple of things really would spring to mind with me. He was never interested in being told what he'd done well. He was interested in being told what he needed to do or could do, actually, 
because he always did his job, what he could do to improve himself. Um, and that summed him up, really. It was all the time, how do I improve? How do I improve? How do I improve? And the next thing you knew, he'd become one of the better restart receivers or a better line-out forward than the other players. So then you suddenly think, well, he'll give you that job as well then. So that was just amazing. And I, you've, t- you've touched on it there, Dippy. I think sometimes that almost adversity teaches you about people. We can all be very good in positive times, but when it's adversity, and that lad in three different ways in 2011, when he didn't get on the, on the plane, when he, I think, should have gone. 2015, well, we all know what ended up happening there. And he shouldered it and never said a word about the whole thing. And I pretty well know much of it, what went on in that minute. And uh, he, he was uh, incredibly loyal and supportive of several scenarios and things that were going on at that time. And in 2019 as well, when, um, you know, he, he was extremely, again, unlucky in my opinion. So to come out of that with no bitterness, um, and there he is, 40-odd caps, second most cap, captain for England ever behind Will Carling, 66 caps, loads of Six Nations. But most importantly, like Tippers has just said, everybody in rugby is positive about the man. And that's actually more important than anything. He's a hell of a rugby player, but he was a hell of a person as well. JP, you must have uh, refereed Chris quite a few times, I think, in uh, your Gallagher Premiership career. What, what was he like as a was captain, a player? Yeah, yeah. He's, I think that if I can pick what Dipper says, you know, all those, all everything that's been said about Chris, I I completely agree with by everybody in every media outlet. I think the biggest thing is if you didn't get if you didn't like Chris Robshaw, you better take a look in the mirror because that's where the problem is. It, it, he's not a bad. He's just there's no badness in him. Um, I think what I was, I used to do number four, kind of my early years at Twickenham, and I'd hear the coaches shouting about, Chris, do this, Chris, that, that's fantastic, that's fantastic. I was constantly shouting to this guy who was doing well on the pitch, saying how class he was. A lot of time that goes in one ear, out the other ear. But actually, I started watching this guy play, and he was class. He did everything. You only saw how class he was by watching him, because he did the stuff to let other people do brilliantly. And I think, I, am I getting it right, guys? When he came into the Quinn's back row, it was the like of, um, is it, is it uh, Andre Voss who was leaving? Tony, you were leaving. It, there was a real class in that back row that he was coming into. It wasn't like all of a sudden he was making the back row. He was, he was making an, a, an extremely good back row even better. He mm. let Nick Easter do all the things he wanted to do. Chris was over every breakdown, making every tackle. And still, if you look at any footage of any game, the person in defense standing at, B or C or first tackler or whatever they're called now this day was Chris Robshaw saying, is the ball out? I've got this man. Sacrificing face, ribs, stomach, everything to make the tackle, to let someone else poach. You know, I saw him bringing on the likes of Luke Wallace. I saw him, you know, everything he did seemed to be, as the guy said, for other people. And you, ne- I think the best example of how people didn't know how good he was, was Eddie Jones said he was, you know, close to garbage or rubbish or I'd never pick him. And then realized that if he picked Chris Robshaw, his back row could operate perfectly because he had a guy. And when I was in with England for all those years, they had all these stats on the wall constantly, constantly about reform, reload, who did the best this, who did the best that. Every single week, every training stat, every match stat that was up on the wall about everything, the number one guy at the very top of the list by a mile was Chris Robshaw. Every single stat. He was, and he kind of went, wow, that's why, that's why you pick him because he's the guy who holds your team together. So... I'm not sure I can say any better than that. And from a referee point of view, 
he was probably too nice. He didn't put enough pressure on refs. And Quinn <laughs> could have got more rubs of the green if they had nastier captains because Chris was just a good bloke. Yeah, we used to tell him that quite a lot. <laughs> uh, John, he's going to be a massive loss to Queens, isn't he? N- not just on the field, but off the field as well. Yeah, he is. But you know, they've they've been going through a a transient stage. I think people would say people would try and say, "Oh, they have been for a number of years." I don't think so. I think Paul's got his thoughts on where he wants to go, and he's gradually uh, adjusting the squad accordingly to that. He's got the challenge, though, of Danny and Mike and um, Chris at the same time. Was similar a couple of years before that with Nick Evans and Nick Easter as well. Um, he's been supportive of, as well, I know, Chris, in his typical way of helping develop the younger players come through. Um, look, they'll move on. They will move on. Nobody's irreplaceable. I think we all, you know, we all take this view, you know, how on earth do you replace him? But there's some really good young guns in that um, Quinn's back row and they'll be, they'll be focusing on uh, and taking it forward. And I'm sure they will. The other guys will step up. You mentioned about the guys in the back row. I mean, obviously there's so many uh, pundits, everyone, etc. at the moment, praising quite rightly um, Alex Dombrand. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, what a player. He's been a fantastic player for Queen's for well, the last couple of years. And of course, you signed him, didn't you, John, originally? Yeah, I mean, he has, and he's gone probably better than I think we thought, really, Dips, hasn't he? You know, when we look back on, you know, what we thought he could do, I was almost expecting a slight blip this year. Um, because the speed at which he'd, he'd gone forward last year, but he's got that innate ability, and you could see it, and people go, oh, well, he's playing for Cardiff Met, when he's bounding through people and going through contact. And it was not dissimilar to looking at Nick Easter when he's playing at somewhere that was oral. And, and if you can go through contact at that level, you can go through contact anywhere. And he has that ability to do that. And because of that, he then can bring people into the game. It wasn't just a, a sort of loose comment when I said he reminded me of Minty and the way he played. He does remind me of that because he brings people into the game, stays on his feet, understands the game. He's an intelligent rugby player. So he runs really good lines. I mean, the try he scored off Elia, who's a heck of a player as well, you know, it was it was poetry really to watch it. it might be in forward pass mind, the, the, the try they scored against Watts last week. But that is Dombrat. He knows his lines to run. Uh, he's a very, very clever player. And just finally, um, JP, um, we've got a few minutes left now. Uh, I mentioned international referee, which you are. Um, you're heading off to the sun somewhere, aren't you, apparently, very, very shortly. So just tell us more about where exactly you're going. Yeah, going out to the Bermuda Tens, um, which is the World Series Tens, a new startup venture, private venture, which is sort of gathering guys. Kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it takes off, or if it does, or if it's, if it's a goer. I, uh, be interesting to see if they get it on. I, I believe they're signing a broadcast deal. They're gonna, it's gonna try and be on telly. I don't really have much experience of tens, to be honest. But it'll be an interesting format of the game because it brings in more people. Perhaps someone like Dippers would have liked tens more than sevens. Um, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be really interesting where the game is at the moment with the Sevens World Series being suspended almost indefinitely now at this stage. I think Canada are the next one back in February of next year. And that's a short lead into the Olympics. So there's a lot of guys at a lot of loose ends. Obviously, um, you've got championship rugby not really happening. You've got 
all Ireland leagues in, in Wales and Ireland aren't happening and they can gather some of these top semi-pro level guys or even pro guys and, and, and sort of generate an interest around the game. So I'm actually quite enthused, which I'm surprised at, about well, Bermuda's obviously helping, uh, helping part of it. But uh, I'm actually looking forward to going out there and, and being involved in the professional side of that. So it's, it's quite, it's, I'm surprised at how excited I am by it. Brilliant. Well, look, uh, JP, have a wonderful time out there, won't you? I'm sure you're going to do an absolutely fantastic job. Thank you so much for being on uh, this evening. Uh, likewise, Tony, thank you once again for your contributions. You take care. And of course, John Kingston as well. Thanks very much, John. Uh, an absolute pleasure speaking to all three guys here on the Big Kickoff Rugby podcast. We will be back again in a couple of weeks' time, digesting more rugby topics, including we'll have a look back at the... Uh, Gallagher Premiership final as well also, so we'll be talking about that in detail also. Uh, thank you very much uh, once again, guys. You take care and we'll catch up soon.